If you have your Bible, uh, please turn to Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6, as we continue this series in the Gospel of Mark. Today we're talking about a very famous story, one that I know you've probably heard about. Uh, the time when Jesus fed 5,000 plus people with just a single meal for a single family. A very famous story. Uh, I'm going to read beginning in verse 30 all the way down to verse 44. Let's read together. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages, and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy two hundred denarii worth of bread and, and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, Five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish... He looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were five thousand men. Wow. Have you ever felt overmatched? Uh, I probably don't have to ask that this week, right? Because all you had to do on Tuesday night is look out your window and notice the storm going by to feel overmatched. I mean, a hurricane is nothing to toy with, is it? Uh, the wind is way too strong for you. Uh, the, the rain is coming at way too high a rate. It's lasting, in this case, way too long, right? There's nothing you can do except watch and hope for the best because you're overmatched. Well, I want to tell you, it's not just when hurricanes come that human beings are overmatched. In fact, a hurricane is just one of those moments in life where the veil gets torn away and you get to see behind the curtain at what is actually the case all the time. It's just we fool ourselves into thinking it's not the case until the storm comes and the veil gets removed and we remember, wait a minute, I'm overmatched. There are things in my life all the time that I can't handle. This is why the Bible often calls human beings sheep. Did you notice that there in verse 34 when, uh, when Jesus saw the crowd of over 5,000 men, so you've got to count the women and children, very large crowd. It says he had compassion because they were like sheep. And not only that, they were like sheep that didn't have a shepherd. And that's the thing about sheep. Sheep cannot survive nearly anything on their own. 
Domestic sheep, farm animal type sheep, cannot survive without a good shepherd. Everything is too big for them. Isn't it funny that the Bible doesn't say, uh, you my people, you are my foxes. You are my coyotes. You are my panthers. doesn't even say panthers, mulberryans. Sorry to say. It says, you are my sheep, meaning you are weak, you are helpless, you are harassed, you are afraid, you must have me. That's what this whole story is about. Jesus Christ is the good shepherd we all need. And we need him every day, not just when hurricanes rage. Uh, Take a look at your bulletin and you'll see three things about the shepherd today from the story. First of all, we're going to see the shepherd's care in verses 30 to 34. Then we're going to see the shepherd's challenge in verses 35 to 38. And then finally, we'll see the shepherd's capability in verses 39 to 44. First of all, the shepherd's care. Let's look together. Uh, Jesus in this story cares for people. He cares for people. Uh, First, in verse 30, he cares for his apostles. And then in verse 34, he turns his attention to care for this very large crowd that has gathered. Uh, First of all, look at the apostles, verse 30. The apostles returned to Jesus and they told him all that they had done and taught. Now you got to remember last week, uh, Jesus had sent the disciples out two by two. And their job was to go in pairs to different towns and teach the gospel and heal people and cast out devils. And Jesus had given them that ability to do that. Well, here's when they come back and they want to tell Jesus all the fun stories. Uh, Can you imagine how excited they were? Jesus, it actually worked. We taught people and they listened. What a miracle, right? Uh, We healed people of their sicknesses and we actually commanded demons just like you did, Jesus, and the demons went. Wow. What a moment this is between Jesus and his disciples. And yet notice, pay attention in in verse 31 how Jesus responds. It shows us that Jesus cares for people because he doesn't say, boys, what are you doing here? If If it's working, get back out there and get busy. There are so many other sick people in Israel to heal. Get out there. What are you, you're wasting time. There are so many people that need to hear the gospel. Get back out there and start sharing. Look at all the demons. Go cast them out. Instead, Jesus says, verse 31, look, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. The word rest there literally means to be restored or refreshed over again. Come be refreshed with me. Come get your rest. Jesus cares for his apostles, not just in terms of their usefulness to his kingdom. He cares about them as people. And the same thing is true about us, too, by the way. Uh, When Jesus looks at you and me, he doesn't just think, okay, okay, John, he's very useful to my kingdom, and so that's why I care about him. You know, Drew, very useful. Uh, Corey, very useful, so I care about their usefulness. He looks at us, and he sees who we are. He sees us in our state, and he says, I want to give you, I want to lead you into true refreshment. Rest. Yes, God calls us to work for him. Yes, he he commands us to do so. Yes, we should do so. But it's not without the loving care of a shepherd who's always there to call us back to get our refreshment. You can't skip past that. And so when the crowd comes, verse 34, and this is a very inconvenient crowd, by the way, 
right? It's like they're the paparazzi. They have the flight tracker on their phone and they find out where Jesus is going and they beat him there. And even though this is supposed to be a moment of quiet rest with his disciples, 20 to 30,000 people, which is the estimate you should come up with, if you have 5,000 men, you've got to count, maybe they've got their wives there, 2.5 kids uh, per couple, maybe. Uh, we're talking about 20 to 30,000 people who have beat them on foot, standing along the shore waiting for them, an inconvenient crowd. And yet Jesus doesn't tell them to go away. He doesn't say, this is our vacation time. What are you doing? Call us on Monday. It says he looked at them and he had compassion. Because he saw they were like sheep that needed a shepherd. When it says he had compassion, that's a word that's very unique. It's used in the New Testament only for God the Father and Jesus only two places too in the parables but in the parables they stand for somebody who stand, they're spoken of somebody who stands for God or Jesus like for example the Samaritan who helps the man being robbed it uses this word but he stands for Jesus the father of the prodigal son who stands for God the father right the only time this word is used is about God this is a God-sized compassion a God-sized care. It means to be heart-wrenched. It means to be gut-punched with love for someone. It means that he's been thinking about and plotting what he can do to help them. Jesus cares about this crowd. He does not just see them as an inconvenience. The shepherd cares. And so immediately he goes into action. Now this is the surprising thing. When he wanted to care for his apostles, he offered them rest. Refreshment. When he wanted to care for this crowd like sheep without a shepherd, what does he offer them? Look down at your Bible. What does he offer? Verse 34. He began to teach them many things. He started teaching, and he, this, this means he intended to keep teaching until he had done teaching. He had a lot to say to them. Uh, in other words, when Jesus sees the problem of shepherdless sheep, he knows the solution is refreshment by way of teaching and instruction. And I want you to think about that about your own life. The problem underneath all your problems this morning is that you are a sheep created by a shepherd, but you have strayed from your shepherd. You have gone away. You have followed your own way. The solution to finding rest is coming back to your shepherd. The only way to do that is for him to show you the way back, which he does by teaching. By teaching and instruction in his word and in his gospel. In this case, directly from the mouth of Jesus, his son himself. He's, bless you, he's teaching them back into the kingdom and into the father's care. Isn't that good? Now think about it. There are different levels of care, but this is care level 10 out of 10. I thought about this week that, you know, in our day and time, there's different levels. Like if something bad happens in your life, someone may, for example, text you or post something on your Facebook wall. I'm thinking about you. I care about you. I'm sorry. That's one level of care. And it may be that they genuinely care for you. Not everything that people text or post is a lie, <laughs> although a lot of it might be out there, you know. Uh, they may genuinely care, but it's just level like three care. It's just words. 
But then somebody might come and call you, or they may knock on your door and say, how can I help? What can I do? And then it becomes level five, right? Because they actually are willing to put their care into action. What Jesus is doing is level 10. It's even above that. Because he's like somebody coming, knocking on your door, calling you, saying, listen, I've already thought about this. I have been thinking about you all day. I know exactly what needs to be done. I've already started doing it. Just sit down and let me finish it. Now, in the case of human beings, they may not have guessed right what you need, and that may be kind of annoying that they've already decided what you need. But in Jesus' case here, he does know. He's been thinking about you more than all day. The Bible says he's been thinking about you from eternity past. He's come up with this plan of exactly what you need as a lost sheep, and he is here to deliver exactly that, no less, no more. He's the good shepherd the Bible's talking about. The one that it speaks about in Ezekiel 34 and in Zechariah 13, that God would send a shepherd to shepherd his people Israel once again. To take over from the shepherds who didn't really care about the sheep, they were just trying to feed themselves. Now, do you believe Jesus cares about you like that? Do you believe that Jesus cares about you like that? That he has compassion, that he knows accurately, accurately what you really need, and that he's already ready before we're even ready to ask him. Before we're even ready to ask him, he's ready with a solution. That's a shepherd I want. <laughs> Amen? Uh, don't, don't you know that he also cares that way about other people, not just you? And not just us. It's not just the people in church on Sunday. It's people all out the crowd, so to speak. And we ought to have a same kind of heart of compassion for people, for each other, and for the crowds. That even now, Jesus is calling to himself. We don't know what he's doing in their hearts. But we do know this. All his people, he knows, and he's known them from eternity. And he loves them and he's committed to giving them exactly what, what, what they need. He sees people without a shepherd and there he is beginning to teach them. And he won't stop teaching them until they're taught. And as we'll see, he won't stop feeding them until they're fed. Pretty cool. Let's move to the second thing. The shepherd's challenge. Because it seems, if you look at verse 35, it grew late. Verse 35. It seems like Jesus... This particular day had a lot to say. He wasn't going to finish teaching until he had taught them. And so he kept teaching and teaching and teaching, and all of a sudden it's evening. And this causes a lot of anxiety for the disciples. Here they have 20,000 people on their hands and no food to feed them. And the disciples have discovered what it's like when a crowd turns on Jesus. They've already seen this. It happened in Nazareth, and they wanted to throw him off a cliff. And so they're like freaking out. We don't want this crowd to turn against us. Please, they say, verse 35, send them away. It's a desolate place. The hour's late. Send them away into the countryside and the villages so they can buy themselves something to eat. Now, wouldn't you say that's a reasonable request? I think so. Notice how Jesus responds. He responds, I mean, they're saying something that seems reasonable. Jesus responds with something that seems the opposite of reasonable. You 
give them something to eat. Jesus. Notice their question. Shall we spend 200 denarii? Shall we go buy the bread? I mean, how are we even going to carry that much bread from the villages here? And by the way, 200 denarii is more than half a year's wages. Which I did the calculations, and if there's 20,000 people and you buy each of them a Happy Meal, you're spending $45,000. That's a big old bill at McDonald's. And I, and I don't even know if they have enough. I, I'm sure they don't have enough. So you're going from McDonald's to McDonald's to McDonald's to McDonald's to collect that many Happy Meals. I mean, you know, the disciples are thinking about all this and they're thinking, Jesus, you're asking me to do something I can't do. Uh, but Jesus is slowly moving them from a position of freak out to feeling the weight of the situation and to the next step, which is evaluating what God has given them rather than worrying about what he hasn't given them. Here's the thing. As soon as you return to Jesus as a sheep and you become one of his, you believe in him, you repent of your sin, you become a Christian, he immediately starts calling his sheep to bear the weight of care for other sheep. He starts asking of you to join him in his ministry of care. Immediately. And immediately we start to think, there is no way I can do what you're asking me to do, Jesus. The people are too many. The needs are too many. I, I, I'm, I've got nothing. I can't volunteer in the kids' ministry. I'm too busy. Right? I, I, can't, I can't help that person. I'm, you know, all my nights are taken up. Or I can't go over there and talk to them. I'm, I'm sad myself. I don't want to get more depressed. We, we, we always think of reasons why what Jesus is asking us to do, we're just not able to do and yet Jesus will not let them off the hook and he doesn't let us off the hook because a key part of his mission in our lives is to have us feel the weight of care so that we would learn to cast our cares on him again and so Jesus says to the disciples how many loaves do you have and they went and found out and they counted and it didn't take them long to count because it was just five can you imagine them coming back to Jesus I told you so all we got is five loaves, two fish. That's enough to feed like two families. It's not very much. Jesus, have them sit down. Seat them in dinner parties of 50 and 100. What's the lesson here? What's the lesson? First of all, Jesus is calling you to bear the weight of care because you have been the recipient of care. Two weeks ago, I was at the Options for Women luncheon. Options for Women is a ministry that we support. They're a crisis pregnancy center that serves Lakeland, Mulberry, Bartow, this area of the county. I was up at the dinner or the lunch and I love that lunch every year because they always pick at least one or two of the people who have been benefited by the ministry to give a testimony. It's a beautiful thing. This year I was especially struck because these two women uh, had been helped not long ago and both of them mentioned how they were now actively serving in the ministry that had benefited them. 
They, they, were doing, they were helping out with the counseling and other things at Options for Women because they had been helped. And I sat there and I thought, you know what, I, I bet you, I bet you, those women are going to be volunteering there for a long time. And I bet you they're going to be able to give a kind of care to the, to the other women that I would not be able to give and that most of us would not be able to give because we haven't experienced what those people are experiencing at the moment. And this is the thing. Jesus makes his kingdom go by his own care, but he always wants to administer that care through the meager things that you and I have. He wants to minister that care through our hands, through our words, through our actions, through our compassion. That's the first lesson. And this is, you can't imagine that Jesus the shepherd would take you into his care without also imagining that he's going to put the weight of care on you. But notice, every time you're going to feel outmatched. And that's actually not a bad thing. I mean, think about how ridiculous it sounds. Have them sit in dinner parties. After you just told Jesus that all you have is five loaves of bread and two fish for 20,000 people. And so here's the second lesson. You cannot wait to care for somebody else until you think you have what it takes to care for them. What you got to do is go evaluate what God's already given you. And it may just be five loaves. And it may just be two stinky fish from three days ago. But, but nevertheless, God gave it to you. And you can take what God gave you and yield even that little bit back to God. And who knows what God will do with it. Right? You can't wait. You can't wait to sign up. You can't wait to help another person until you feel like you've got your own stuff together because you'll never do it. Jesus is not calling us to do things that we're adequate to doing. I feel this all the time as a pastor, by the way. I feel constantly inadequate because I am. I am. And yet it's a constant reminder of me every day that I need to give what little bit I do have fully to Jesus and trust. And I've seen him do things with what I've given him that have just, I felt like it was nothing. And yet God made a whole bunch out of it. It's amazing what God can do. We can't wait. We must just simply give what we've got. Some of, have you ever taken an inventory of what God has given you? Have you done that lately? Like the disciples, have you gone back to count the loaves and the fishes? Maybe you haven't done that in a while. Maybe you haven't thought, God, what have you given to me to share? And as little as it might be, I'm resolved, God, when I find out what it is, I'm going to bring it back to you. And I'm going to lay it down. And you can use it however you want to use it. In whosever life you want to use it in. Have you ever seen the movie Dunkirk? It's a beautiful movie about World War II, true story. A um, bunch of British uh, soldiers were stranded on the coast of France. They couldn't get inland because the Germans were there. They couldn't get back over because their boats had been bombed. And they were just stranded. They, they were by, sitting ducks just waiting to be picked off. And uh, the only that no one could help, no one was available to help. And so all these people on the coast of England who had little boats like fishing boats and sailboats and all kinds of things, they began to take them across the channel 
and pick up four or five people at a time, however many could fit in their little boat to carry them back over. Thousands did this. And they rescued a majority of the people off that beach back to England. It's an amazing movie, actually, an amazing story. It's true. I want you to think about that story when you think about this story. I want you to think about that story, too, when you think about what God has given you. Uh, Any number of those men could have said, what can I do? You know, tens of thousands of troops in France, and here I am on the coast of England, and all I have is a fishing boat? It can hold like five people? Obviously, God's not calling me to help. And instead, what they did is they said, you know what? God may be calling me to help because I have a fishing boat that can hold five people. And they got in it and they went across. Do you believe your God, your shepherd can do things like that? Do you believe that's the reason why he challenges you to do hard things? Don't don't you believe that? Parents, don't you believe that? You are not adequate as a parent. I know I'm not. But you got something that God gave you. Take an inventory and give it to him. And he'll say, have them sit down. Sit them in dinner parties and watch me work. That leads us to the third thing, the, shape, the shepherd's capability, which, of course, is the main wow factor of this whole story. It's starting there in verse 39. Jesus has them sit down, and they do sit in the, the word used there is the word for dinner party. It's really funny. Actually, it's for drinking party. Uh, It's a word used for a Roman drinking party. He sat them in drinking parties of 50 and 100. Interesting way to put it. I think it's just emphasizing the fact that Jesus is not just feeding them barely. He's going to give them a feast. Which it does say they walked away satisfied. They walked away stuffed. And the disciples each had a doggy bag to take with them. Amazing, right? They had 12 baskets. One for each of the disciples. It's incredible. Sit them in groups. Jesus took the bread, lifted it up. He said a blessing. He broke it. He looked to heaven. He gave it to his disciples. I mean, this reminds us actually of Moses who was in the wilderness and the people were arranged around God in the wilderness in groups of 50 and 100 and the bread came down from heaven, the manna, and it fed the people. It reminds us of Elisha who had one loaf of bread and a hundred people to feed. And he he just said, well, I'm going to pray and break it. And he broke it and gave it to his assistants and they fed everybody from it. Except here, Jesus is doing something even greater than Moses and even greater than Elijah. Moses didn't make the bread come down. It just came down from heaven. Elijah didn't make the bread multiply. He just prayed and it happened from God. Jesus is the one multiplying the bread. Jesus is greater than Moses, greater than Elijah. Jesus is the shepherd that you read about in Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I will lack no good thing. And in fact, that's, I think this is why Mark is the only one that does this. this. This story is told in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all four gospels. He's the only one that points out in verse 39 that they were sitting on the green grass. Why do we need to know that? Who cares whether it was green or brown or a mixture of the two? Mark wants you to know it was green that day. 
He also is the only one that connects Jesus' compassion for sheep without a shepherd to this story. Why? It's a not-so-subtle way to say Psalm 23 has now taken on flesh. We sang it earlier. The Lord's my shepherd. I'll not want. He makes me down to lie in pastures green. He leadeth me the quiet, refreshing waters by. Finally, the God described in Psalm 23 has become a tangible, visible person among his people. And he's here to stay. And as he taught them, and he would not stop teaching them until he had finished, until they had been taught, he was now feeding them, and he would feed them until they had been fed. And he made even some extra that the disciples might be fed for days to come. The capability of Jesus is beyond what we know. And that's Mark's real burden. It's his burden in the whole book. He wants you to know who Jesus is. And for goodness sake, he wants you to treat him as he really is. That's Mark. That's what he wants. He wants you to see Jesus as he is and treat him appropriately. He wants no case of mistaken identity when it comes to Jesus. One of my favorite stories about the late Queen Elizabeth, uh, and this was told by one of her right-hand men who, who was always with her, uh, one, and he tells the story of one time they were walking uh, on the grounds of their castle in Scotland, very big grounds, as you can imagine, and uh, it was so big that the public actually could walk through some of the grounds, and they were out walking, and they came across two American tourists this day. And um, the tourists started talking to them, and it became very clear really quick that the American tourists had no idea this was the Queen of England. They had no clue. They thought this was an old granny, just random lady. Uh, and then they started saying things like, don't you know the Queen lives right across over the hill there? <laughs> queen Elizabeth says, you know, well, yeah, I've heard that. Then they asked, have you ever met the Queen? Queen Elizabeth, who I'm told, you know, people say she had a sense of humor. She said, I've never met her, but he has. And he starts telling these stories about the queen and says, yeah, she's nice, but she can be kind of stubborn and honorary. And, you know, they're kind of have this joke going between them. Uh, the queen is, is especially insistent that they take a picture all together because she's sure that somebody in America knows who she is. And when they get back home, somebody's going to tell her, right? Somebody's going to tell them. Maybe they did, maybe they didn't, we don't know. Isn't that, isn't that an amazing story? That someone didn't know who the Queen of England was, first of all. It's not as funny when we've heard about Jesus. King Jesus, by the way. King Jesus. And yet when we see him, we don't recognize him. And we don't treat him for who he is. We dismiss him and put him to the side. Yeah, I've heard about that. I heard about that since I was a kid. Yeah, you know, same old, same old. Or we openly oppose it. I don't want Jesus and his supernatural stuff. I don't want him telling me I don't own my own life. I don't want him telling me what's right and wrong. I have no time for this Jesus. It's like not recognizing the Queen of England and giving her the due deference. 
except this one has eternal consequences. Uh, this one matters more. In this one, there's not a whole lot of jokes going around. Because that one, you might say there's an excuse. They're Americans after all. And what do we, you know, what is the Queen of England to us, right? But in this case, there is no excuse because this happens to be the king of the universe. And if you have breath in your body, he's your king. You should know him. And Mark's whole burden is know him. Know him for who he is. He is the good shepherd. God himself. You owe him everything. He does everything for you. I mean, think about it. He's able to lay them down on green grass because he was willing to lay down on a hard cross. Think about that. His soul was completely forsaken by his father so that he could restore our souls. He went into the hurricane wrath of God on the cross so that we could receive gentle still waters. That's Jesus. That's who he is. Now, what do we then, how should we treat him when we see him? All that I am to all that you are, Jesus. And, and here's the fun thing about being a Christian. Every day you're going to learn a little bit more about Jesus than you didn't know. Every day you're going to feel a little bit more outmatched than you did yesterday. And there's going to be a new chance today and tomorrow and tomorrow, as long as the Lord gives you. If you'll do it, there'll be another chance for you to say, Jesus, all that I am to all that you are. All of me to all of Christ. All of Christ to all of me. There's nothing better than being a Christian. Nothing in the universe better than that. Being a subject of the King of Kings. Because he's a good Christ. He's a good shepherd. He cares. He challenges, but he's capable. He feeds them till they want no more. Wow. Do you recognize him? Let's pray together.